0: So welcome to the Investment Cuddle, episode 13. So today on the podcast, we're going to talk about investing for dependents. I'm Gary and I'm here with Philip. So Philip, I think the the idea of the dependents subject today will focus on children, but there's also dependents around parents, grandparents, anybody that hasn't either got the cognitive function anymore to look after their money or children who are too busy building lego to worry about finances so i just let's start with the subject of a new baby so it's quite traditional in families that people will give us a gift of money cash when a child is born so what options have we got with that money you know we can put it under 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 the mattress until the child is 21 and say there you go well done there's 10 pounds what options have we got? Well, that's a good point you brought out there.
1: Is um, when you're giving money to children, you've probably got to think about the long-term inflation risk. So if you gave them a tenner today, it won't have a £10 worth of purchasing power in, in 20 years time. I'm no. fairly certain of that. So what the Victorians used to do was actually give gold sovereigns, gold coins uh, to the child, particularly as it had sentimental value, because it was actually minted in the year of their birth. Now with those ones, because it is actually a precious metal coin, They have the benefit of following inflation over a longer term and keeping more of its purchasing power, as well as being something sentimental. Other Mm -hmm. things people have done is you could put a savings account. It's a little you're not going to get very much. So inflation, purchasing power, inflation uh, erosion is a likelihood. Another thing that people often do these days is invest it here in the UK with national savings and investments. Usually, child bonds, or particularly popular, is also premium bonds.
0: Yeah, because so yeah, the premium bond, I remember getting premium bonds. Well, I don't remember getting premium bonds. People bought me premium bonds, which I remember my parents telling me about. What is a premium bond? Well, effectively, a premium bond, it's, it's, a,
1: it's a lottery. You buy several £1 bonds, and what you're gambling on is the interest. So the capital you put in there is perfectly safe. All you're gambling on is how much interest you've got. So every month there's a prize draw of which I believe two people win a million pounds or two bonds win a million pounds. Then a set number but win £100,000, set number one, £50,000, £25,000, £10,000, £5,000, £2,000, £500, £100, £50, £20. And £25. Oh, sorry, £25. I mean, there
0: is a £25 prize. There you go. I would know. Because at some point in the dinner is past, my £10 won £25. So the important things here is each bond is
1: valued at £1. But there's a minimum you must weigh £25 worth. And the maximum you can buy per year is £50,000. The other important thing to realise is for these, the winnings, or effectively the interest rate, is tax-free. So for a high-rate taxpayer in the UK, that's quite advantageous. For low-rate taxpayers, it's not that advantageous. But if you're someone like a child who generally doesn't have any income, they still have their tax allowance. So it's actually not very uh, not tax advantageous for them. Also, the odds of winning are in the region of 34,500
0: to 1, if I remember correctly. Right. But so it's a premium bonds, definite option, because, you know, £25 isn't a huge amount of money. That's right. For, you know, a beautiful new, uh, newborn. I'm not sure if you've got £50,000, you'd want to put that forward for, uh, for a gift. But, hey, um, always open to offers. So, you know, we, we, uh, we were talking earlier on about cash. So let's say you're not going to put it in a premium bond. National Savings and Investments also offer other, other products as well, don't they? Yes. Is, is that a viable option? I yeah. guess, and I'm thinking more here, less about a gift and more about, you know, you want to put some money aside because someone's given you some cash and therefore you and the family will club that all together or add to it over time. So one of the things you can invest in is an
1: individual savings account or for children specifically, a junior ISA. Now these ones, uh, National Savings Investments offer these. They're cash uh, saving ISAs, so savings accounts, but with tax free wrapper. Also other banks and uh, savings institutions also offer these. They often pay a bit more money you can open them with as minimum as a pound in many cases, or £25 at that if it's other financial institutions, but there is an absolute maximum amount you can put in each year of £9,000. Once it's 18, they mature, and this is possibly where the problems come in. The child, it's
0: legally theirs, they can do whatever they like with it. So if you... Oh, come on, Philip, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's their money, they're adults. Yes. 18-year-old being landed with a large wadge of cash. I don't know what the problem is.
1: Well, it's unlikely to be used for a house deposit or <laughs> anything like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, th- let's be honest. I, I uh, at 18, had I, had I been handed a large wad of cash, I might well have bought myself a nice car and quite a lot of beer. I'm not sure I would have been thinking about the future beyond <laughs> the current evening that I was out in. So yeah, I think there's a there's a health warning there. I guess legally, there's nothing you can do about that.
1: As soon as they turn 18, it is legally theirs. You cannot stop them. how they spend it. The only ways you can get around it is possibly, and this is debatable, setting up very expensive private trust funds where you might be able to limit them to later on in life, but eventually maybe 21, but you can't do it indefinitely. Mm -hmm. They're expensive to put up and
0: generally you're very rich to even want to consider down this route, to go down this route because they're expensive yeah and and so I, I guess in that sense then all joking aside from you know the 18 year old being landed with cash that cash could support university fees mm-hmm. if they if they you know decided or wanted to even go to university perhaps that's not the route to go down for maybe parents grandparents are thinking about it, is deposits for you know a home or at least for parents to get the children out of the home <laughs> you know if you're talking about a deposit for a home 18, you know, if, you, if you're putting a deposit down on a home at 18, that's not not usual, I think. It would be more around college fees and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's other options for parents, grandparents and carers of children that you could ring fence that money so it isn't legally theirs at 18.
1: Yes, but then you could, the only ways you can do that, apart from setting up private trust funds, is to do something with a pension. Otherwise, the day they turn
0: 18, it's legally theirs, and you cannot stop them spending it. Yeah, and so what I think I'm saying is you ring-fence it by not putting it in their name. Yes, but then... You you, yeah. you leave it in your name or somebody else's name that... Yeah, but then you, it's... You know then, that that cash is theirs.
1: Yes, but then you're ta- it's taxed at your marginal rate, so it's outside of anything.
0: Yeah, So, but if you turn around and you said earlier on about the ISAs, let's assume you put the money in an ISA, it's in your name, you know... Should anything happen to you, that's their money anyway. And you can control that money. And let's assume they are a very sensible individual at the age of 18. You may write them a cheque or do a bank transfer is more more common now. But if they're a little bit, you know, a little bit creative at 18, perhaps you might want to wait to give them access to that money. That's one of the ways to control it. And as you said, there's tax implications there. But to be honest, there are tax implications for any of this. Oh, right. Right, so we've just been saying there about tax implications. If the situation is that we don't, we're not talking children here, and we talked about the individual savings accounts, the ISAs. If you've got, let's say, responsibility for a parent or an adult who isn't really interested in finance, doesn't want to manage the money or anything like that, you've got a situation where you take responsibility for that money. Let's say they hand you some money over and then you put it in in an ISA. Can they they just do that?
1: Yes, but legally, once they've done that, the money is no longer theirs. It is the person they've given it to. So if you do anything like this, it's totally down to trust. You can't trust them. There's no legal recourse to get your money back. But it can be a way of helping. For example, particularly if it's elderly people, if they gift the money away and the gift is given over seven years before they die, it is not part of their estate. For inheritance tax so you can slowly drip feed money every year to someone and slowly reduce your estate to the point when inheritance tax is minimized or maybe totally um below the
0: threshold okay so there's there's uh, there is an option there and that money that's transferred over can be used for care or you know getting work done whatever whatever it is whatever's required whether it's property or whatever you can do that but there is an element there of trust in the transfer of that money. Because the legal ownership has now changed. Right. So, yeah, so that has to be clear. And, you know, when, when do you ever hear they've ever been in problems with uh, with money and families? I mean, that's that's never in the newspapers <laughs> <aspect of> those <laughs> stories, are they? But, yeah, okay. So, you know, ISAs, you know, bank accounts, all those other things that the money can be transferred across. But essentially, you can then ring fence that for the individual concerned. But you would do that... It's not ring-fenced. It's part
1: of your money. You would have to ring-fence it amongst your other savings.
0: And I wanted to bring you back to gold, silver, precious metals. I think you classed them as barbarous relics. That was a quote
1: from the previous governor of the Bank of England. Right.
0: With gold and silver, you said earlier about Victorians buying sovereigns for children. So sovereigns... and, and, And I guess we also talked about the £25 that you're putting in premium bonds, potentially... Sovereigns are quite expensive, aren't they?
1: So a sovereign is the old historic British £1 coin. Now, it's just under a quarter of an ounce of gold for memory. So at the current gold price, you are getting on for like £275, £285 per sovereign. Also, there are half sovereigns, which are just under one-eighth of an ounce of gold, which are approximately about £150. You pay slightly more per unit of gold in those. Also in the UK, there are Britannias, gold Britannias, These are one full troy ounce of gold, but they also do smaller versions such as half Britannias, quarter Britannias, and one-tenth Britannias. A Britannia, because it's a full uh, one ounce of gold, is approximately £1,200, I believe, and the others are scaled similar. Now, they're the gold coins. In the UK, also, the Royal Mint also produces silver Britannias which are one ounce of pure silver. Now, silver prices, as you know, are much, much lower. So one of those costs normally around about 20 pounds. The only difference is gold, if it has high enough purity, so a sovereign purity, which is 22 carat or higher, you pay no VAT on it because it's investment. Silver, platinum or palladium coins, unfortunately, no, you have to pay VAT on it. So silver coins, you'll pay 20% on it. To immediately make a 20% loss, it has to increase 20% before you even break even. But if it's a legal tender coin in the UK, of which a Britain is, it, that is a £100 coin. A sovereign is a £1 coin, and I think from memory, a silver Britain is a £2 coin, I think. You pay no capital gains on it. So that, over a long period of time, can be very advantageous. If you were to buy other coins, such as Cookerans, gold cougar end. although you won't pay VAT on it because it is pure gold, you are liable for capital gains. If you were to buy a silver coin from Canada, a silver maple leaf, you would have to pay VAT on it because it is non-gold and you would also have to pay capital gains on it. So if you're in the UK, Britons, sovereigns are advantageous because there's no capital gains on them. And if it's a gold coin, there's no VAT. But if you want to buy silver Britons in a few years they do produce platinum or palladium ones, you'd have to pay 20% on them. But they are something which does mean for over a long period of time, you get some inflation protection historically.
0: And, you know, and, and that's a nice thing for someone to have as they grow up and someone's thought about them when they first arrived. I guess there's storage issues, because we're talking things of significant value here. Yes. So you've got to think about where you're going to put them. There are companies out there that will hold items for you. So that's another... Aspect to, to consider, but so we we didn't really go in too much detail into pensions, which are, I think are another option for dependents, certainly younger, you know, younger children. Oof. And I, and I, and I think partly I don't know what you think, Philip, but my challenge with all of this is time frame is so very far away. Whenever I've talked to anybody about this, they've struggled to get their head around why you would even want to do that. So how do you how do you translate that to somebody when you go right this person's you know we've got a newborn and you're talking about pensions that doesn't compute surely you're talking about the, the beginning of their life and somewhere near the end of their life so what, how do you how do you resolve that so
1: let me talk about this now this is taking advantage of compound interest where the longer they can invest in the f- smaller amount you need to put in there to get a very large sum of money so as soon as the baby is born it has effectively got 65 to 70 years of compound interest now just to give you an example of how powerful that can be if you just paid in uh, 50 pound a month as soon as they're born until they reach 65 and you would just assume interest is paid yearly and you've got growth for say five percent after sort of 10 years you've paid in six thousand pounds the interest you get per year is about 355 The total interest is about £1,750, and the total balance is about £7,750. We move on to, say, 20 years. The total amount that's paid in is £12,000. The interest received per year is about £956 a year. Total amount of interest received up to that moment, or investment term, is about £8,372. And the total pot is about £20,000. We move it on to say 65. The total amount of money paid in £39,000. The interest received in that year would be about 13389 Total amount of interest received £242,446. Total balance £281,446. Over a quarter of a million. So the example would be Paying a small amount very early, but for a long period of time, means you get the compounding of the interest, then they are earning more and more interest, becomes more powerful. And what you'll find is from them paying only a small amount of money, they've got a pension pot of over a quarter of a million pounds by the time they're 65. They can worry about paying for their tariff fees. They can worry about getting a house deposit, because they haven't got to worry about pensions, because it's already there. That's the power
0: of compound interest. Okay, because you were talking there about... You know, after 10 years, it's worth seven. 20 years, it's worth 20. And after the 65 years, it's worth 280,000. Yes. So that, even in that first 10 years, you give it another 10 years, it's tripled pretty much from when you started. And then you get out and it's order of magnitude by the yes. time you get into 65 years of payment. Again, it puts into context against a 25 pound premium bond to turning around and saying, actually, if you're going to think about this over the, the longer time frame. And you are—I don't know—a grandparent who's got a little bit of disposable income because let's just assume that, that, that grandparents have a little bit of disposable income. Now you could do that every month, and by the time they get to eighteen, okay, I guess with a with a sip, you've got the the issue that it becomes their money to manage to manage when they're eighteen. But that is the difference, isn't it? But they can't touch it till ten
1: years before their statutory retirement age. So even if they're most profligate spender in the world, the government and the laws. I can't go and waste it but well, until They're 10 years before their retirement age.
0: Yeah, so the worst case scenario is you don't, after those 18 years, you don't add any more to that. But you still end up with a compound interest over that period. And and if parents want to continue to support that beyond the 18th year, or grandparents do, that's a discussion. But it's a really powerful thing, which... People don't realise. Well, people don't realise about it. But also, don't you get help with that as well? There's other tax reliefs you can get as well. Because
1: even though you are a non-taxpayer you still get tax relief on your pension contributions from the minute you were born. So, for example, the maximum amount you can pay into your pension, even if you're a non-taxpayer, and that's whether it is £3,600. But that's per
0: year? Per year. But
1: you don't have to pay all of that in because you get 20% of that is a tax relief. So you pay in £2,880. The government then pays you the rest to make it
0: 3600 every year. So they're giving you a 20% extra bonus. Right, so let me see if I understand this. So if you are a UK taxpayer, which... A lot of pensioners are. So let's just yep. say grandparents are paying this £50 a month into a pension. self-invested pension plan or a pension for, for the grandchild. They've only got to find 40 because it will be topped up to 50 Because the by pension provider
1: will automatically go and get a rebate from HMR Revenue and Customs to bring it back. But you can't pay more than as a total 3600 including their tax rebate, if you're a non-taxpayer.
0: No. but that's still a lot, but that's of, like money a lot going. of money yeah.
1: going in per year.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that's so a lot of money going into a pension. There's not that many people pumping that sort of money Any into year. a pension every year, no. let alone for somebody who's dependent or someone someone in the family. Okay, so you know one of the one of the vehicles to to invest in in a pension is going to be the SIP self invested pension plan. When you're talking about the compound interest and the number of years, you know what would you what would you buy then? What's, what's what's the simplest thing to buy in one of those vehicles for this kind of pension?
1: Because you're looking over such a long period of time, you're looking at something that pays a dividend that could be reinvested all the time. And to be honest, I will probably look at one of the um, tracker funds. You'll get the investment return from the dividends they pay. You'll get cost pound averaging because you'll be buying them every month, and there you'll get those sort of returns. So if you listen to I think it is uh, episode seven, we talked about buying tracker funds. That'll give you an idea. But unless you were actively really interested in managing the money yourself, that'll be probably what I pick one of those sort of tracker funds.
0: Okay. So yeah, in tracker again. We're not talking about the chocolate bar. We're talking about tracking an index through one of those products. And as you say, the fees are very, very low. You can do pound cost averaging. The platforms will generally allow you to set that up. So it's not even something you have to do every month. It just will run automatically. Pick your favourite in terms of fund. Dividend to be reinvested. It's all done for you. Extremely low maintenance. Okay. So I, I think, Philip, just to wrap all this up, there's so many different options to invest in for... Certainly for the, the younger generation, whether it's newborns or young children. And I guess for the, the older dependents, you know, we've said there's there's the inheritance tax options to have a look at and see if there's anything that can can happen there. But it very much comes back to time frame. Yes.
1: Like all investing, it comes down to what are you investing for and over what period of time? Because then that will help you decide what is the best vehicle or vehicles you should consider.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that the basic rules are... If you are looking to use the the money fairly quickly, so next someone gives you some money, yeah, next couple of years, keep cash. it keep it in cash, yeah. And if you're looking at, you know, maybe a twenty year horizon, you know, there's a newborn baby, you think they might get to university, they might want college fees, or you just want to put some money aside for them, you know, you can invest that. And we've covered quite a lot of those today. And the same, I think, with a with a deposit if you want to try and get them on the housing ladder what that's going to look like in 20 years who knows and then if you are looking at much longer time frames with the help available a pension is for me quite an incredible gift it's
1: something you wouldn't need to think about certainly i didn't think about pensions until i was quite old so therefore i now need to pay a lot more per month than if i'd done it if i'd started when i was one year old can be a very, very small amount of money you need to pay in those days compared to what I have to pay now.
0: Yeah. And that comes back to the compound interest, taking advantage of that. Is it the seventh wonder of the world? Eighth wonder. Remember? Eighth wonder of the world, compound interest. Who Could said that?
1: Albert Einstein, I believe.
0: All right. So I don't think we can say any more than that. No. Thanks to Philip for his time today. And we'll see you next time.
1: The programme has been presented for information and educational purposes only. None of the information or content of the programme is to be taken as an offer, opinion or recommendation by the program's hosts or guests to buy or sell securities. Nor is it intended to provide legal, tax, accounting, commercial or financial advice. Opinions and comments are based on information from sources believed to be reliable. All investing involves risk as prices go up or down based on a number of factors. Always consider consulting a financial professional before investing.